Handing over the reins of a family business is one of the toughest decisions an entrepreneur has to make. It's a real minefield. And today's special guest has some practical tips for how to navigate it successfully and protect your family's legacy. He's Vincent Curatola. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Vincent Curatola is a commissioner on the New Jersey Hall of Fame, having been appointed by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and also having served on the governor's transition team. For the past 10 years, he's also served as a member of the foundation board at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Where else do you know that name from? It's got a familiar ring. Well, if you're a fan of the award-winning HBO drama, The Sopranos, you'll remember him in his co-starring role as Johnny Sack. Sacrimony, that is. You've probably also seen him guest star on more than a few primetime network series, including Third Watch, Law and Order, Monk, Life on Mars, Person of Interest, Blacklist, The Good Wife, and one of my personal favorites, Law & Order SVU, where he regularly appears as Judge Al Verduccio. On the big screen, he's co-starred with Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini in the crime thriller Killing Them Softly. And soon, you'll see him playing Boston Mayor Menino in Patriot's Day with Mark Wahlberg, which will be in a theater near you at the end of this year. Okay. So even if you did recognize the name Vincent Caratola, I bet you didn't know he was a successful entrepreneur long before we saw that piercing look in his eyes and heard that distinctive voice on camera. Yes, indeed. Vincent has experienced firsthand what it's like for a family business to successfully transition to its second and third generations, which is why it's such a special treat to have him join us here today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Vincent. Oh, thank you, Hannah. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank maybe you. You'd like to, maybe you'd like to work for me. Well, you know, that could be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. It's so good to have you. Congratulations on your show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank well, you so thank much. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's good to have you here because, you know, family-owned and family-run businesses play such a huge role in our U.S. economy. Forbes magazine right. says that about 90% of all businesses in the United States are family-owned or controlled, and they generate more than half of our gross national product. It's huge. So tell us about your business and how it got started. Well, I'll tell you that back in, uh, I guess it was the mid-70s, late-70s, I, I started my own masonry business, contracting business. My father had uh, a company of his own. But it was too big, and I wanted to be on my own, so I had put an ad in a local newspaper about concrete work and steps and sidewalks, blah, 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 
and people started calling. And then when I got some money together, I went into the Yellow Pages, which is a very expensive proposition, and uh, it built from there. And then went on to uh, it went on to some custom home builders where we did a lot of huge foundations and very intricate brickwork and stonework. And uh, I ran the business for quite some time, and, and our son, Ryan, my wife is Maureen, our son, Ryan, expressed an interest in it, oh, I would say probably around the year 2000, 2001. He had been working for it part-time after college, and I had gotten very busy on The Sopranos, and I said, Ryan, you know, I, I obviously can't do both. I can't show up anymore and give estimates to people. I said, do you, do you want to run this business? Do you want to stay in this business? And he said, yeah, I like it. I do. I said, fine, do it, period. Uh, and I've done it without any trepidation, without any hesitation. He's very good at what he does. And if any of you ever watched the series years ago, Charlie's Angels, I'm the guy on the phone nobody ever sees, but he talks to you, and he gives you advice. And that's what my son does a couple of times a day. Calls up, how about this? Did you do that customer years ago? They called again, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I'm just a voice on the phone. Never show up anywhere. I love it. I'm glad the business is still alive. Um, and, you know, it has its ups and downs. You know, election years tend to be a little slow with customers or the weather. or You know, there's always a, a little bit of, of a stumbling block. But I tell my son, listen, you're on your own which means you can never go in on a Monday morning and somebody says, well, the boss wants to see you, by the way, you're fired. We're cutting back. You're your own boss. It's, it's part of the American fabric. Uh, everyone in my family on both sides always owns businesses. We've never worked for anyone. Nothing wrong with it, just that we've always made our own paycheck, and I'm very proud of that. And I can see why. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. So this transition mm -hmm. to Ryan, I mean, did you mm -hmm. just go cold turkey? Yes, I had to because, as I mentioned, uh, once I got very busy with the character of Johnny Sack on The Sopranos, uh, you know, you get to a point where you go into the bank or you go into a store or you go into a restaurant, and it's very flattering. People immediately recognize you. And the last thing I wanted to do was show up on people's properties and say, hey, you called us for a price. I'm here to measure it for you because it would have turned into something completely different. It would have taken away from the moment of the business running the way it should, and I felt that I should just really disappear. And that's what I did. Well, that's amazing because, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of uh, business owners and somebody such as yourself who's built a business pretty much from mm -hmm. the ground up, they can't do yeah. that. You know, losing control no. is just huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. Um Ryan was, was trained by me and certainly trained by my father. We miss him terribly, but we feel him here every day. And Ryan uh, was always asking my dad for pointers. Or My father was a master craftsman, ran a fabulous business, which began right after World War II, uh, 5,700 homes in Bergen County, New Jersey alone uh, for track builders. He, he always had the masonry contract for it. And uh, he would give Ryan a lot of advice. Certainly, of course, I did. Um, and it was just, it was comfortable. He knew the process. Uh, he's very, you know, very honest guy. He just uh, never cuts a corner. We always held our, hold our heads up high with customers. And uh, no, it's as natural as the sunrise. 
I've, I had no, no fear about it at all. Not, nothing at all. That's wonderful. Now, yeah. your, your dad's business was separate from your own. Did they combine yes. at some point in time? No, 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 no. He, uh, he initially coming out of uh, the, the Army in World War II, went into partnership with one of his brothers. As I said, they did incredible amounts of masonry work. And uh, I just felt that, you know, I didn't want to work for anyone, even my dad. And I said to myself, I know a little bit about this work. Uh, I went and hired someone who knew a lot more about it. And I started the business. It was very tiny, but it was a business. And, you know, as they say, you should fake it until you make it. And it became what I wanted it to become. Awesome. So yeah. what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs who, mm -hmm. for whatever reason in their career, whether, you know, they're mm -hmm. taking on success mm -hmm. as you have in another field altogether, or maybe they just mm -hmm. want to retire or slow down mm -hmm. or just pursue right. another business interest to make it yeah. smooth? Because not everybody's going to have that same kind of discipline that you had to just, boom, go mm -hmm. cold turkey. Yeah, I understand. I Well, I'll tell you something. I was very... It was very easy for me to get into back in the day because really there was no real overhead. You know, one truck at the time and, you know, a full-time guy and a part-time helper. And the, the biggest expense was the advertising. Uh, but if I can tell you a very quick story. Sure. Uh, about someone who I never met but I heard a lot about. I grew up in Englewood, New Jersey. Very bucolic, beautiful town. A lot of uh, entertainers lived there, a lot of captains of industry, I guess you could say. And I saw them all as a kid. But I heard a very fascinating story. That in 1974, there was a terrible recession in America. Some people, half the population remember it, the other half never heard about it. There was a fellow who at the time in 1974, I want to say he was 31, 32 years old. And he was working on Wall Street. He was a stock trader. Had a lovely wife, two very small children, and bought a beautiful little house in Tenafly, New Jersey, next to Englewood. Well, from what I understand, in the course of a week, 1,200 or more traders were laid off in one shot on Wall Street by all of the major firms. There was just not enough work for them. Now, remember, this is the time, no internet, so your resumes had to be done by hand. And then again, where is he going to send the resume to? Everybody else laid everyone else off, so there was no work for this fellow. Here he was, 30, early 30s, home every day, and what could you do? You watch television, and the two little children off to school, and he was very depressed, extremely depressed, and he had some money put away because he was a, you know, a, a logical fellow. So he was able to live for maybe close to a year on whatever he had put away, but now he was getting worried. He had a friend that he had gone to public high school with who had become a handyman, not a college guy, not a, not a terribly intelligent guy. I don't want to say that, not a, not a book guy. And he would come over to this fellow's house once in a while and say, gee, you know, you've got to get out of the house. You get up in the morning, you stay here, you're horribly depressed, you're driving your wife crazy. And the wife said, yeah, well, you know, please, wait, just go, spend some time, take a walk. His friend said to him, I'll tell you what, tomorrow morning, I'll pick you up at 8 o'clock. We'll go down to the diner. We'll have some coffee. Come with me on my, my rounds. Now, this is a fellow who had a station wagon with a ladder on top. <clears throat> he would go and paint someone's gutter. He would fix someone's screen door. 
He was always trying to keep himself busy. So this fellow went with him on the first morning. He said, look, I really don't want to do this. My wife wants me to get out of the house. I'll come with you. So he would sit in the station wagon and watch his friend do whatever he had to do. Mrs. Jones' house, Mrs. Smith's house, whatever it was. He says, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. Okay, pick me up tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll sit in the car again. I think it was the third or fourth morning. His friend had to put a ladder up against the side of a garage roof. And he's watching him. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. Let me, let me get out of the car. I have to hold the ladder for you. I've got, you you're going to kill yourself. All right, yeah, gee, thanks. He held the ladder. He said, oh, can you hand me the paintbrush? Okay, I'll hand you the paintbrush. After a few weeks, this guy had a brainstorm. Now, let's go back. The only way you could advertise in those days, put something in the A&P with a telephone number or whatever. He said to his friend, you know, I smell a business here. No, he said, I just, the other fellow said, I, you know, I just do it to make a day's pay. No, 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 I smell a business. Well, they printed up flyers. In those days, you mimeographed them. Put them all over creation. People began to call. Now a motel would call. Then a restaurant would call. We need cleaning. We need the chandeliers cleaned. We need a little bit of paint work in the kitchen. Blah, blah, blah. Now, this was 1974. In 1982, the two of them sold that company, a maintenance company, for $12 million. Wow. In those days, in those dollars, over 30 years ago. They sold their client list. They sold their contracts that were in place. Now, this is from a paintbrush. This is from a flyer in, in a supermarket. This is from putting flyers in people's mailboxes or behind their screen door. So when I hear that you have to go to college for 300 years and then graduate school for another 200 years, or you can't make a good living, I laugh. It's about ambition. It's not about anything else. That's a remarkable story. It's 100% true. Yeah. It's true. You know, the thing is, the Internet has changed some things. It's made things filter. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's really changed the basic premise of business. You know, those overnight successes. No. They take yeah. how many years? How many years? Absolutely. Of course they do. Sure they do. But you know something? You know, when you do the work, for some strange reason, more work comes and more dollars come. But what I, what I understand, I, <clears throat> I don't have any friends who are school teachers, but from what I read, I don't think that entrepreneurship or uh, Horatio Alger, for that matter, is taught in public schools in America on any level. And that's a shame. Because what you really you think about people who go to the Wharton School, or they go to the Harvard School of Business, what are they really trying to learn? They're trying to learn how to take 25 cents and turn it into a dollar. Now, as far as I'm concerned, there's no Ivy League school who can teach you that. If it's not in you, you're lost. I see your point, most definitely. The mm -hmm. thing is, they're, mm -hmm. you know, most of them aren't being trained at those MBA programs to <clears throat> be entrepreneurs. That's a pretty recent no. development. You know, they're being trained mm -hmm. to, to join the big consulting firms, you know, those yeah. large organizations that are looking for mm -hmm. people to fit in. That's right. That's exactly right. But you know something, even if you look at Donald Trump, when he called up the mayor of New York City 30 years ago, because in Central Park, 
it was the cities trying to build an ice skating rink. And it was taking a hundred years. This contractor didn't show up. The other one jumped in front of the other one. It's wrong. The plans aren't correct. He called up. He said, Mayor, I could get this done. No, come on. No, no, I could get Trump went in, and a couple of months it was over. Why? The man, I'm not, not that I'm pushing Trump. I'm giving you an example of a businessman. This is a guy who makes his own decision. There's no committee involved. When committees become involved in anything, Hannah, it takes a thousand years to get done. There more, need to be more people who are independent thinkers, who are uh, <laughs> hands-on. Hands-on. That's what you need. You need more people to say, listen, this is America. There is really no limit. There's really no limit unless you limit yourself. I can do this. I can try that. And someday I'll get what I want, and that'll be good for me, my family, and future generations. Because look at it this way. How many immigrants came here? from God knows how many countries in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s. They didn't know anything. They knew that if they went to the wholesale vegetable market at 3 o'clock in the morning and bought a whole bunch of stuff, by the end of the day, they would double their money. And look what it's turned into for so many families. That's really the essence of America. The American dream. I I know my parents lived it, for sure. Mm -hmm. Certainly, certainly, certainly. So family businesses, is, you know, could be great. It could be horrible. There are families who uh, should never be together on a daily basis under any circumstances. But well, when it works, it works well. It does. And, and that's the challenge, yeah. you know, because I, th- I think especially family businesses and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they are the backbone of this country mm-hmm. and this economy. Okay. It's, Correct. it's so important you know, for them to have a little extra guidance and, and some yeah. tips and strategies mm-hmm. so that Thanksgiving doesn't turn awkward, you know? because that, There you go. Yeah, That's you've got right. all these dynamics happening. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. But it seems to me that the, the, the thrust of today's American education, I go back to, again, uh, you know, there's such a thing, too, as being overly educated to the point where you're paralyzed and you can't make a decision on your own. Then you're in trouble. Because right. if you overanalyze to the point of things, you know, the moment passes. The moment passes. Right. And there's a difference between street smarts and book smarts. And some people oh, just can't tie doubt. their shoes. So, you know, there's, there's that issue. Doubt. Correct. That's you right. you got to be practical right. about it. And it's always mm-hmm. good to be able to combine skill sets. So family businesses, they, they have unique challenges. But by the yes. same token, it's also a tremendous strength if you can harness mm-hmm. that. It is, and, and also, Hannah, you know, when, a, when a, a family starts out in a business, whether it's the first generation handing to the second and then to the third, the, the really the trick, and, I, you know, I hate to use such an overly coined phrase, you have to put something away for a rainy day. You know, what happens is many times a father and mother hand a business to a child, a girl, a boy, whatever it is, or to siblings, you know, and right away, this one wants to buy his own house. The other one wants to buy a new boat. The other one wants to, to, to go to the islands every three months. You know, you have to keep some money in these businesses. You can't just suck them dry. Or the, you'll turn around one day, and it'll be raining real hard, and you'll be broke. That's true. Statistically, so many businesses don't transfer well to the second generation. No, they don't. They do uh, not. What is it? I, I had some numbers here. Um, experts are mm-hmm. saying that that less than a third 
survive the transition from first to second generation and that less than half of what's left over make it to the third, which is why it's so remarkable and, you know, the kind of planning that's necessary and certainly, you know, setting Mm -hmm. aside the the proper accounting processes so that you can save for a rainy day is really important. That's right. Because there are a lot of rainy days in business when you're on your own. There's no question about it. You know, it, nothing is easy. You never have 12 months of ecstasy. There's always a third of those months or, or a quarter of those months where you say, wow, I have to pay this bill. Do I have to really pay that? Because, you know, you get slow. Every business is seasonal. I don't care what it is. You have to be prepared for it. Excellent point. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Have yeah. you noticed um, leadership style differences between you and Ryan as Ryan is now in charge of, of the family business? Uh, you know, actually, no. I have to be honest and tell you, I, I think he's a carbon copy of me in, in the sense that, uh, you know, if he smells what we call a bad job, he won't even quote it. And there are times, you know, the human factor comes into play. You can, uh, you can go to propose something that a customer has asked for, and you'll get a feeling that, you know, there there were a hundred contractors there before, and nobody got paid. You know what I'm saying? Ryan's yeah. very astute when it comes to that. I taught him that he's able to read people on his own. Uh, he could tell if somebody really wants to spend a dollar, or they're just wasting time. Uh, in that sense, we're identical. In the sense of the way he treats uh, he treats his crew, we're identical. You know, nobody. So you you could finish up the day at twelve thirty. Those guys are getting paid till the end of the day. It's goodwill. They're human beings. He's the same way. Uh, no, I, I have to tell you, I think that we could finish uh, each other's sentences when it comes to this business, and I'm very happy about that. And he's very he's very precise. Uh, as I said to you before, he doesn't cut a corner. Neither did I. I wasn't trained that way. And, uh, you know, if I have to go to China for six months, he'll still call me and say, what about this, what about that? And that's fine. That's fine. Well, that's great that you can be there as a sounding board for him, yeah, as a board yeah. of advisors, and mm-hmm. uh, and also that, that he wants to reach out for you. I think that's also yes. very commendable and says a lot about your yeah. leadership style. Well, thank you, but I'm, I'm very happy about that because, you know, Ryan does not have an ego in the sense that, no, I know how to do this, I don't need to get a, get a piece of advice from my father, and that makes me feel good, makes me feel like I'm still alive. And uh, it makes him feel that, yes, he's making the right decision because, you know, it's a very technical business. You can very easily make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, it's not like you can repaint the wall. You know, you're talking about concrete, stone, brick. You cannot make a mistake. You definitely want to measure twice. Always, three times even. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. All right. Well, Vincent, I'm going to get personal here for a minute. You know, you've had a really Mm -hmm. interesting career, you know, building Mm -hmm. your business. And now this whole other career, this whole other side Mm -hmm. of you, in terms of what makes you tick, what kinds of advice or person, event, experience Mm -hmm. has been a big influence on your life and career choices? You know, uh, when I was very little, I I guess my memory starts at around the age of four. I think for most of us it does. And I can recall many times being in the store with my mother, who was really my mentor. She died very, very, very young. And I was young when she died. But uh, she would catch me mimicking the lady working in the store or the man walking down the street. Vincent, that's not polite. Don't do that. Don't stare. 
but mom, look, I can walk the way that man walked. No, 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 no. I was a mimic as a kid. I didn't know that that would be a prelude to becoming an actor. But my mother was very outspoken, but in a good and honest way. And she taught me to be the same way, as did my father. And um, it's strange because, you know, I think it was the masonry business that really gave me the impetus to be interested in acting because, you know, you deal with so many different types of people. You could be giving a proposal to a guy that owns a $64 million building or somebody who owns a $200,000 little house. And you have to adjust your speech. You have to adjust your attitude. You have to adjust your demeanor because you want to make them feel comfortable. And I think that had a lot to do with the ability to play different characters in my career. Very, very interesting. You know, mm -hmm. because uh, some people just don't seem to master that in the sales process or yeah. their networking process, you know, to really make a connection mm -hmm. with someone. Yeah, 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 I understand. You know, I always felt that if someone uh, left a message on the answering machine for the business and, you know, they need this or they need that, I think it's incumbent upon you to at least you know, treat them with respect and make them feel comfortable when you go to see them. You know, maybe they're interested in baseball. You're not. But they, hey, did you see that game last night? No, gee, I missed it. By the way, how do you want the sidewalk price? You know what I'm saying? You mm -hmm. have to, you, you really, you have to, what's the word? You've got to muscle it. You have to massage it. Uh, not that you want to be a phony, Hannah. I don't mean that. But you have right. to make them comfortable. You have to make them feel like there's a connection with you. I mean, back in those days, I smoked cigarettes. So if they were smoking and stand, we're standing outside and I'm measuring the, the retaining wall of the steps, I'd buy the cigarette. Because now I can say, well, we have something in common. We both smoke. You know, all kinds of little little gimmicks that you use to make someone comfortable and, and hope that you're comfortable doing it. That's the most important thing. Well, and to be authentic with them, because mm -hmm. if you're going to work with them, you've got to at least like them. You do, because even, you know, in those days, a job, a job might last five days. You're with them five days. It might last a month. It might last a day and a half. But you're right. You keep meeting new people, and, you know, for them to hand you their money for your goods and services, there has to be some feeling of at least minimal camaraderie. There has to be something. has to be, because you're not selling the job. They already want the job done, whether they're going to give it to your company or someone else's. We already know they want it done. Question is, can you get it and make a living doing it? So now personality comes in, in, into play. Because otherwise, you're a robot. You can go there and be very rote about everything and say, well, it's going to be in this direction, four feet that way, 20 feet that way. Here's the price. Who wants to talk to someone that way? Well, you know, and some people do that. Somebody, a friend of yeah, mine told me a story just the other day about they were having mm -hmm. a, somebody quote them a lawn service. And the guy came mm -hmm. in and he did exactly what you just said. Just boom, boom, mm -hmm. boom. You know, here's right. the price. And somebody else came in and said, so tell me, what's important about your yard? You know, what, mm -hmm. what, do, what do you see problems? Yeah. Well, you know who got right. the job, right? Of course. Uh, certainly, of course. Yeah. I would it do makes, the same thing as a customer. Absolutely. It makes a difference. Absolutely. Sure, it makes a difference. But I'll tell you something. Uh, you know, you, uh, just going back to the family way of doing business, uh, the Asians are incredible. They're incredible. You know, you know how there's, you go through Manhattan and there are 4,500 corner groceries run by, I don't know if they're Korean, South Vietnam, whatever they are. And 
they get this business, they're paying an enormous rent, $20,000, $25,000 a month. They work 24 hours a day. The whole family, the mother, father, bosses of in-laws, <clears throat> the children, when they're old enough to work, all work in the store and all live in one house for the first five, six, seven years. They pool their money. They make sure the landlord gets paid. They have to pay for their provisions. Con Edison, whatever the, the case may be. Nobody takes a quarter, Hannah. Did you know that? Nobody takes out a dime. And then before you know it, that business has a million dollars in the checkbook. Now you're rolling. But a lot of American, a lot of American kids who go into a family business are not willing to not be paid. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay them, but minimally until everybody gets their feet really tracked to the ground. That's, that's an American problem with American family businesses. As I said before, they want to take too much out instantly and it doesn't fly. Well, you need to definitely have some good financial sense. And, you know, mm -hmm. what you've described is the classic American dream. You know, the opportunity yeah. is there. It does require work. Yeah. It doesn't happen on its own. And it no. requires persistence and some self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You know, even if correct. it's for the yeah, short correct. term, you know, in order to yeah. get over that hump and, and get that thing going. So it, it does take that. Yes, take yes, that. sure. Sure it does. Sure it does. It's this, you know, wishing doesn't make it so. No. And as true. I said to you before, there's a lot of... You know, there are a lot of slow times. I mean, my business was in existence during uh, the recession in the mid-'70s. Then it got a little better, and there was a horrible recession in 1990. A lot of people either don't remember it or just whatever, forgot about it. That lasted a good four years. Things were quiet. Things were quiet, you know, staring at the phone. Is it going to ring today? You know, and you have to be able to weather that. And it's not an easy thing to do, but <clears throat> in the long run, in the long run, you do come out ahead. But you have to understand, too, that uh, a lot of people in my background and, and friends of my family from years ago, with, which were mostly Italian immigrants, uh, they said, gee, you know, someday I'm not going to be able to run my business anymore. My son doesn't want it. I'm going to get old. But you know what? Over the last 10 years, my wife and I bought three two-family houses. <laughs> There you go. You're not going to be working anymore. You're going to be fine the first of every month. You have to think that way, too. You know, it can't be about buying cars and taking too many vacations. You've got to have something that's going to pay you every month. That's very important. Smart investments. That's what it's all yeah. about, too. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you see these professional athletes, and they're doing so good, and now all of a sudden they're broke and homeless. Broke? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you gross $30 million and you forget to pay Uncle Sam. I left it up to the accountant. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. The accountant called you and said, hey, you know what, guy? You really got to put 100000 aside next two months. We're pay no, man, we'll do it some other time. No, no. It's your, it's your fault. You told the CPA to do it. He didn't do it on his own. That's, that's a malarkey story. And you hear it a lot in show business and then in the sports business. It's crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. That's so true. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad yeah. that, that you and your business are setting a good example. And I really care Thank you. time. Thank you so much. Do, do you have any parting okay. thoughts for our audience, Vincent? Uh, yeah, I do. You know, this is, this is America. And if it could be done anywhere, it can be done here. You know, don't play into the negativity. Don't buy into the negativity that 
someone has to be approving of you in order for you to make a decent living in America. Think about being on your own. Think about even being on your own part-time. Or when you retire, thinking of doing something on your own. But realize if it can be done. That's why so many people come here, Anna. It started with Ellis Island. Everybody wants to come to America. Everything you need is here. Barring, God forbid, physical ailments. I hope that never happens. It's all here. Don't get discouraged. And don't say, gee, you know what? After we find out who's going to be elected, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take care of the patio with it. Do it now. There's nothing to fear. Everything is fine. That's it, Hannah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. This has been terrific. Thank oh, you good. so much for your time, your insight. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was nice of you to think of me, Hannah. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Right. All okay. Right. Bye-bye now. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MOLLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests those thought leaders, experts and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you and the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com and connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.